Taillights Podcast fans, you are listening to part one of the interview with Coach Danny Threadgill. This is truly a wonderful interview, and I can't thank Coach Threadgill enough for taking the time to do this. His players and loved ones will be forever grateful to have his amazing career chronicled in such a fashion. And I'd also like to thank those of you that took the time to send in some kind thoughts and words to let me know how much you appreciate him. Please take the time to share this interview with friends and family and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the interview. Thanks for tuning in to the Tail Lights Podcast. I'm Eric Thormalen, and tonight I'm joined by Coach Danny Threadgill, uh, previously at Yorktown, Bruceville, Eddie Bruceville, Bernie, and Bernie Champion. Uh, Coach Threadgill, thanks so much for joining us. Eric, thank you for having me. This is going to be a, a great experience. Well, you bet. Our listeners have already heard a little bit about uh, about you from our Coach Bluda interview that we did, and he talked about having paint all over himself, and and you walking in for the interview, him and the superintendent right. over there, and um, you know we we'll wait to start right there, you know, or wait to get there, but um, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself, where you grew up, what your parents did, and and how you got into education. Well, I tell you, I tell you, Eric, I uh, was born in Houston, Texas, uh, before Houston was exactly what it is today. Uh, we uh, grew up on a little farm on Al- Almeda Genoa Road, and right now that place is so grown up and industrialized that you'd never recognize it. And, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty close to there, so I, I, uh, I, I, mean, I know what you're saying as far as like the Almeda Mall is not too far from where I'm living. Right, and and so we were, we were on a little farm, I and mean, we we had cows and you know bees, and I stayed there till about I was I think I was five years old when we moved. Uh, now my brother, believe this or not, he raised or, and took care of the Houston Cougar Cougar. Wow! So that you know that was back in the day, and and uh, so he was young, but he got to do that, and that was a great experience for him, but. But that tells you, you know, Houston was not what it is today. How did your brother get that gig? You know, that that would be a question I couldn't even answer. Hmm. Uh, he passed away about, oh, probably 10 years ago now. So I can't, I can't even answer that question for you. How much older was he than you? He's 11 years older than I am. Okay. So did you ever get to uh, play with the cougar or have to feed it when he'd go out of town or anything? Oh no! Oh no! We stayed away from that. That was not a. That was never an option for us. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was there till I was five years old, and then my uh, my mom was an RN, and my dad was a. Uh, he worked for the VA hospital as as air conditioning engineer, and they got moved to Temple, and so my mom worked at Scott and White. A hospital, and my dad worked at the VA hospital in Temple, and uh, so we moved. I say they got transferred there. Uh, we moved to Troy, Texas, and I spent I spent a year and a half in Troy, and uh, at that point we moved to Bruceville, Eddie, but they kept their jobs there in Temple. So I then I I stayed in Bruceville, Eddie, probably. It was. Through my eighth grade year, and then my mom and dad moved to Iowa, and uh, my dad was transferred up to uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And so we lived on the Omaha, I mean, on the Iowa side of the state border, 
but he would drive back and forth to Omaha. And so I played my, I played my eighth grade year in Bruceville, Eddie. I moved to, uh, to Iowa driving through a blizzard. <laughs> we got up there. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was probably as much snow as I've ever seen in my life, Eric. It was, uh, probably 12 inches of snow and we were following snow plows, just trying to get up to, uh, where we were about to make home. And so that was a, that was a heck of a trip, you know, for a Texas boy to go see all that snow. That was, that was something for us. Yeah. That's and, crazy. Hmm. <laughs> so. Well, Go ahead. Oh, well, I, I'm just trying to think, you know, because I totally understand which. Well, without, with the exception of seeing all the snow, I mean, the first time I saw a lot of snow was when I went skiing, you know, with uh, my ex-girlfriend Jesse Smith and her family back in the day there in Bernie, and uh-huh. you know, there in Colorado, there was so much snow. I'd never seen snow like that, you know, and and I think you know you're going to it when you're going to a resort to ski. Uh, when you're moving there, though, you probably don't have that feeling of excitement. It may be a little bit more nerve-wracking. Yeah, you know, for, for us as kids, shoot, we were excited. Now, for my mom who was driving, <laughs> she was a lot more nerve-wracked. You know, it, yeah. was, a, it was a tough drive for her. Right. Uh, but, oh, what, I mean, what an experience. So, I mean, it was, I stayed there from my, midway through my eighth grade year and then went to, Council Bluff, Iowa, for my freshman year, and I played football in Council Bluffs, and and I will tell you right now that in Council Bluffs, Iowa, football and Texas football are night and day. Uh, it was we played our games on Saturday morning. Uh, we you know I think we had four or five games is all we had, and it's on the JV level. Uh, and uh, it was just not, it was just something completely different than what I was, I was used to, not the organization uh, that Texas, Texas football has. What are the top sports in a place like that? Is it the top sport, but sports aren't a big deal or? Well, you know, I, Eric, that, you know, I thought wrestling was very big, mm-hmm. uh, but I was not a wrestler. Uh, you know, I probably, I was probably built more like a, like a wrestler, but, but I knew nothing about it. I came from Texas and football was, uh, was King. So I knew nothing about wrestling. So that never entered into my, my thought pattern. You know, basketball was very big. Uh, you know, once you got into high school, that organized football was better. Uh, but at the lower levels, you know, going through freshman JV, it wasn't a big deal. And, uh, you know, so, the sports would probably be more of basketball and wrestling at, at, at that. And then, then football would kind of follow in somewhere in that, in that uh, train right there. Do they have a band out and cheerleaders and everything for the football team? Uh, not for the JV. They didn't. Yeah. I mean, you show up and it was, a, it was almost like a, a park, you know, you just, it wasn't like a football stadium. Uh, now I'm sure the, I'm sure the varsities, uh, they got to play in the stadium. We got to play on a, you know, like a, just a city park field. Mm -hmm. And so the bleachers might've held 25 to 50 people, you know, and, and they were never filled. So, you know, only people that were there were normally the parents. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot, very different experience. And, 
and it was an experience, uh, not an experience that I uh, really enjoyed. Uh, so after after my freshman year of football, my mom and dad allowed me to come back down to Texas, and I could live with my sister until they came back down in May. And so that's what I did. I moved back to Bruceville, Eddie. I stayed with my sister uh, for about five, six months until my mom and dad transferred back down. And and uh, and then we, you know, were back in the same household there. Nice. Back to big time football. Huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you can get big time in in class B football at Bruceville, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> What, what year? Uh, what year was that? Let's see. Uh, I graduated in '79, so I, I came back. That should have been in '77, mm-hmm. and uh, so we were still class at that point. That's when Class B or Class A was Class B. Uh, yeah. And so it wasn't too long after that that it, that it changed over after I graduated. But uh, no, I then when I moved back, then I played my sophomore year. Uh, on the JV, and then my my junior senior year was on the varsity at Bruceville Eddie. Okay, uh, who, who coached you there at Bruceville Eddie? I had uh, Clayton Oliver was the head. We had an audio feed error there for a moment, but Clayton Oliver was the head coach uh, there at Bruceville Eddie when Coach Threadgill was playing, and then Coach Herbert, uh, who would become the next head coach, was the assistant at that time. Herbert was our was the assistant. Uh, they had a couple other coaches. Uh, Doug Roaming uh, was one, and uh, golly, I'm going to forget the other one, but uh, I'll come back to him here in a minute. But uh, but but Clayton and Gary were the main coaches, and really, you could say that there were two coaches at the at the high school level for all sports. They coached every sport there was: basketball, football, track, golf, tennis, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And and the other guys helped out uh, with uh, with the junior high, so it was a it was a a lot different experience than what you have nowadays. Right. Okay. So what's uh, what's the best memory you have from playing there? I tell you, you know, was you know my best memory was was my coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I really enjoyed Clayton Oliver and. He was such a such a great man. He was older, you know, by the time I was there. He'd probably been coaching 35, 40 years. Uh, and then Gary Herbert was just one of those spark plug energy guys, kind of the younger, younger generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was a take time, take charge kind of guy. Uh, but the one thing that I that stood out to me a lot was the superintendent that moved in my sophomore year. And his son and I were, were best friends. His name was Jim Payne. And, and Jim came in, and he came fresh off of a uh, state championship at uh, coaching at Grapeland. And uh, somehow he got this, you know, he wanted to become a superintendent, and he got this position. And he had a great influence on, on not only my athletic career, but also my choice of going into education. And, uh, so, you know, Jim was, Jim was, uh, he's a, he's an excellent man and, and, uh, and he had the great background of coaching. So when he came in, it was one of those, those guys that just fit in and, and no, he would never step on the coach's toes, 
But if I was over at his house, uh, you know, he might say something like, hey, you know, I don't know why you're not putting out more effort there, you know, and, and, you know, that would hit home. Right. And, you know, so, so he was, he was a big influence also. So those three guys were tremendous, uh, tremendous influences on me. And, and they were the reason I wanted to get into, into education, get into coaching. And, um, I never, and, and, and Eric, this, this might, you might believe this, not believe this, but, I never had a doubt, never had a question what I was going to go into when I, when I went to college. I mean, number one, there was no doubt that I was going to college. There was no doubt that, that I wanted to go into education. There was no doubt that I wanted to go co- uh, start coaching. Uh, but how, you know, what made up my mind, I don't know. It just felt like that that was what I was supposed to do, and that's what I went to do. Well, you know, uh, one of the – biggest life-changing experiences for me was with, with Coach Fulkerson. You know, as a, as a freshman in high school, I failed out across country, got a 69 in Algebra 1, and didn't get to run at the, uh, at the district and regional meet. And, you know, Coach Fulkerson wasn't easy on me. He wasn't overly, you know, aggressive or, you know, rude or anything about it. But, it, you know, he just – he was one of those guys you were going to earn your spot. You were going to earn what was – you know, what you received. And – and in that situation, mm-hmm. I failed. I didn't deserve, you know, the accolades of the others going forward. I didn't get my letter jacket, and I pouted about it, you know, a little bit and everything. And the next year, as a sophomore, and really that track season in, in my freshman year, I uh, I got myself, you know, in, in a much better position to be successful going forward and realized I need to do things his way. And, and so uh, – you know, going into sophomore year, I'd say that's when I really started to realize that I was not going to be the professional wrestler that I wanted to be and that I was going to be uh, the teacher and coach that I saw that was making such a huge difference like he was. And I, I did a report for Mr. Pfeiffer's uh, tech systems class, and it was to interview someone in a field you wanted to go into. And I interviewed Coach Fulkerson, and, and uh, you know, here I am. <laughs> You know, it, it's amazing the impact that that men that, uh, you know, that you respect have on you. Right. And, and, you know, like you're talking about with Coach Fulkerson, you know, that respect level. Well, I had that with Clayton Oliver and, and Gary Herbert and Jim Payne and, and those people that influenced my life that way. I mean, it was the respect at, at I guess, uh, attitude that I had toward them. And that directed me the to the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. Whether I knew that or not, that's what, that's what it, you know, uh, caused it to happen. So I was, I was excited. I, I'm how I decided to go to Tarleton state university. Uh, I have, you know, Eric, I, I can't tell you, I just, I enrolled there. They accepted me and, and, uh, the rest is history. I was there four and a half years and, and it was time to time to graduate and go. Yeah. So it was, and you know, at that time, Eric, you know, I was, I'm going to say I, I decided I wanted to go play football and, you know, as a class B athlete and not a tremendous, uh, you know, physical specimen uh, is, uh, you know, I was going to go play college football. Well, I got up there and, you know, I realized real quick that I wasn't, I wasn't college material. I wasn't big enough, fast enough, athletic enough to play at that level. 
but I think sometimes, you know, it takes that realization that, that going to try it and figure out that this isn't for you instead of just dropping the dream early and, and always thinking, man, I could have done that. Uh, I attempted it mm-hmm. and, uh, and found out that that really wasn't the place for me. Uh, but Tarleton was, and, and I fit in very well at Tarleton. I, you know, I was in the athletic department. It was, it was kind of hilarious because my freshman year after I, after I quit playing football, I didn't realize that football was a class. And, you know, so, you know, my mid-semester grade comes out and I got football on there with an F. Oof. I'm going, what is this? So I go and I talk to Coach Forns, uh, you know, and and he goes, hey, I just put that on there so you would come in there. I knew you didn't know that this was a class. And I said, no, I had no idea. He goes, well, we need to get you into a PE class, some type of, you know, racquetball or something. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went and talked to Coach Gillespie, who was the defensive coordinator, and I was going to be a defensive guy. So he wasn't mm-hmm. real happy, number one, that I – I was never going to play for him, but he wasn't happy that I quit. Yeah. And uh, so I walk in there and I say, Coach Gillespie, he said, uh, you know, I'm I'm getting out of football and I need to get into your racquetball class. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm full. (laughs) And I was just, you know, I'm a a quiet, kind of scared freshman. And I'm looking at him, I'm going – Okay. And I start to walk off and he turns, he said, Hey, eight o'clock tomorrow morning, I got a weightlifting class. Be there. Well, that was on a Tuesday. Well, I already had weightlifting on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So on Tuesday, Thursday, I had weightlifting also. So I was lifting weights five days a week. So I got my, I got my workouts in very, very uh, strongly during that semester. Uh, and it's amazing because I'd never lifted weights before in high school. That was something that it was just not really thought of big time. And so, so well, I got I, into I, it. And, I think and Coach, what's that? I think it's interesting. The point you just made, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to let you finish this story, but I want to come back to that, that point you just made about weightlifting. Cause I want to get your opinion on something, uh, but go, go ahead with, with uh, showing up there though. Okay. So, so after, after I got into that class and we went through the semester, coach Gillespie and I became very, very good friends. I mean, not, you know, we were student, you know, that, but later on my roommate was, a, was a, one of his track athletes. He was the head track coach there. And, but my roommate could not go work out because he's student teaching so I would go, he would find out what the workouts were, and I would go out to the track with him, and I would time him and do all those things. Mm-hmm. Well, one day I go out there, and it's sleeting. It's got to be 25 degrees, and it's cold, and I'm standing there, I'm timing, and, uh, and all of a sudden this truck pulls up to the finish line, you know, just off the track, and he honks. I look over, and it's Coach Gillespie. Well, I walk over there. And he goes, hey, get in the truck. I said, well, Gary's about to run. He goes, just get in the truck. So I got in the truck with him, and and uh, Gary comes through on his 200, and 
and I time him and I tell him what the time was. And he gets Gary over there and said, hey, Gary, go in the room. When I honk, when I honk, you come out. When I honk again, you start. And then as soon as you finish your 200, you go back in the dressing room. So that's what we did for the, to- for, you know, the total workout. I sat in the truck with him. We sat there and talked. And he is, he is on my, from that point on, was on my reference list. Yeah, I worked uh, the national track meets, NAI track meets at uh, Charleston for him. Uh, just an awesome guy. But it's amazing mm. how, you know, all of that turns around. It's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is a guy that was my defense coordinator. I quit on him. But you know what? It all worked out in the long run. And, and he's a, one of my most respected men that I've ever been around. You remember Coach John Ecker, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. And I and I'll certainly edit this out if you if you, uh, if you don't want it in here. But I'll just tell you a quick story. When I was junior high, I was running the mile in PE, and I was running somewhere in the five thirties. And I went to him and asked if I could get into athletics. And it, this is kind of a different deal. Like you indicated, you know, you quit with with that coach, uh-huh. and so you know he was kind of harbored maybe a little bit of negativity initially because of that. But uh, eventually, it ends up being such a good relationship or whatever. Coach Ecker um, had no desire to let me in athletics, and I was, I was a problem, believe me. You know, in junior high, I was in trouble all the time. I couldn't pass classes. I was just a dummy, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, boy, he gave me – did you ever watch the show The Wonder Years? Yes, yes. I, I don't want to say too – and, again, I'll edit it out <laughs> if we need to, but he reminded me a lot of Coach Cutlip, you know, and, and retro, you know, hindsight or whatever, and – Man, he lit into me about how I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't disciplined enough. You know, I couldn't take criticism because I tried to turn away and walk away in the middle of this. And, you know, Coach Ubaldo Gay ended up letting me into athletics. You know, but I, I think for a long time I harbored this. I'm going to prove Coach Eka wrong. <laughs> a year. <laughs> and years go by and stuff. And even by the time I was a senior, I felt like, you know, if that guy hadn't been so harsh about me not ever getting into athletics, I don't know that I'd have had quite the chip I ever did to say, oof, I don't like that Coach Fulkerson's not giving me my letter jacket, but I got a guy I got to prove wrong in this world, and that's Coach Ecker. <laughs> you know? And so my senior year, you know, the, the baseball team wins state as well, right? Right. And, you know, he was the assistant coach on that team with Coach Foster and everything. And the, the summer going into senior year, uh, you know, we'd been third my junior year in the state. And we had six out of seven guys coming back. And we were replacing Josh Mycock with David Fuentes, who I'm sure you oh. remember how good David was. Oh, yes. And so we, we're really stronger, you know, than, than a team that was already coming back so strong. We're already even, you know, we're that next, next level ready to go. And I walked uh, with Josh Voss and Brad Henson and Turner Dial, a bunch of my buddies, Aaron Shield and so on. We're walking in the weight room, and I went up there and, and was doing some lifting, probably about half of whatever they were doing or less. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Coach Ecker says hello to them, and I didn't even look at him. And he stops me and says, hey, hey, throw him a line. You know, he called me throw him a line. He, you know, Sounds he, just like he said, he tells me, he says, I'm proud of you, you know, and it was cool situations that maybe look like they're a negative deal. They, they turn out, you know, like they're supposed to, they turn out very positive, like what you described. They, they really do. And I'll tell you what, you just brought up a guy that's just an awesome coach, you know, 
you know, like you said, a motivator. He's not going to let he's not going to let you buy with anything, but he's also the ultimate encourager. Yeah, you know, though, he was the ultimate ultimate encourager when I deserved the praise. Right. You know, right. At that point, when I was a when I was a uh, what's the right word to use here? Um, <laughs> when I was not the student you wanted to see walk into your class. I wouldn't say he was the type to use like the love and logic training, uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of strategies with, which is okay though, too. And I wish people understood that a little bit better that, you know, every adult's different, just like every kid. And we're going to run into different our whole lives. There's no question. No question. You've got to be, you've got to be versatile. You've got to be durable. You've got to be ready to, to react to, you know, someone like coach Ogea, who's, you know, and when I was in eighth grade, I came in all red faced and I was tired and I ran the mile and he said, what do you, what's, what's wrong with you today? And I said, well, we just ran the mile in PE. Well, how fast are you run? And I said, five twenty something or five thirty something. And he said, God, why are you not in, in track? And I said, well, coach Hecker wouldn't sign the form. And he said, well, I will, <laughs> you know? So, so again, you know, he, he got me in. And I, I really appreciated that and everything, but it's almost a good cop, bad cop inadvertently you know exactly. uh, both were great to me I just appreciate both of those guys in in hindsight even though coach Ecker at that point may not have intended necessarily to bring that out of me the the way that the way that he did that you know and we had a nice young injection at the time too with coach O'Rourke and coach Dayas two guys that were big for me at least right and I don't want to talk too much about myself here because we're we're here to talk about you but I, I do just want to interject that as sometimes you know you just don't see uh, a situation the way that it's going to turn out you know as the one you described and, and how it does end up turning out it's incredible oh it's and and like you said I mean coaches are there and they're going to motivate and they all motivate differently There's different right. ways and and you just described a couple of them and and I've described a couple of them and and you know what in the long run they all they all impact you can be in a positive way if you let it sometimes yeah. it, you know it, it seems like a negative aspect but but it comes out as a as a positive result coach Sergio, you had mentioned about weightlifting and how it hadn't been a big a big part when you were in high school and stuff but now it is a huge aspect in high school and you also look at football and how much bigger so many of the players are today and how much more severe many of the injuries are do you think that 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 weightlifting and, and every coach feels the pressure to win? So a lot of coaches probably started amping that up some to be able to give their team a bit of an advantage. But it almost seems to me like that it's been a real disadvantage uh, to the sport, because when you have so many growing kids at that high school level and you're just, you know, the ACLs, the concussions and all that stuff. Do you think that that. Uh, that's something that has transpired because of the, the greater emphasis on that weightlifting. You know, Eric, I really don't think that's the case. I, I think that the weightlifting has, have prevented a lot of in, injuries, uh, you know, because the strength around your knees is going to help prevent that ACL injury. Uh, the concussions have probably been around forever, but just never diagnosed, uh, you know, and, and when you start thinking about, all of the, as long as someone is lifting fundamentally sound, there's technique to it. It's not just going in there and throwing up, a, you know, 400 pounds uh, and, and hurting yourself doing it. 
uh, you well, know, there's techniques to each lift, and and it's got to be emphasized, and it's got to be it's got to be taught, and then emphasized as someone's lifting. The strength factor, yes, it does make people bigger, stronger, and the impacts are higher, uh, but also the equipment is better, and you know, and the and the techniques of tackling have changed. Uh, so I don't I don't think that the weightlifting has been a factor of of uh, Increased injury, increased uh, concussions, things like that. Yes, it, yeah, I do know. I do know that there's there's more of it happening, but I think more of them has been diagnosed nowadays than ever before in history. And the, and the trainers association and everyone, uh, they're they're tremendous. You know, yeah, they you do need to go by those protocols, but you do have to be diagnosed as a uh, uh, with a concussion. You know, and just because someone, you know, come, you know, gets dizzy doesn't mean that they have a concussion. And uh, so, you know, an example would be there's a young man here a few years ago that after I first kind of got involved in football here, uh, well, he had got he had gotten hit. Well, he got up and kind of staggered a little bit and they got in the sideline and uh after the game, you know, this is toward the end of the game. And he, this is a kid that never came off the field. And so, I mean, so number one, exhaustion, physical exhaustion was kind of in an influence into this. So as soon mm-hmm. as he was on the sideline, you know, they said, what happened? They said, well, you know, I went down and, you know, and he, he described the whole situation. And we said, well, did you ever, did you ever go, you know, feel like you blacked out? And he goes, no. Well, do you have a headache? No. So we started going through the protocol of, okay, let's see, let's see, you know, can you do these math problems? Did them all. Uh, Do you know where you're at? Just asking questions. You give them, I think it's three words nowadays that you got to give them and, and then just talk about whatever and then come back and ask them what those three words were. And he fired him right back out. And it's okay. Hmm. So, you know, so did, did he have a concussion? No, but I couldn't diagnose that. I could tell you I don't think he did. So I had to talk to his mom and dad and say, okay, you need to take him to a doctor. And we took him to a local doctor. And the doctor, you know, his, his first thought was, well, the kid had a concussion. But then he called a friend of his who was a trainer. I mean, excuse me, was the Spurs uh, uh, team doctor. Mm-hmm. And they were personal friends. And he said, and they started talking back and forth. He said, well, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And he said, ask him these questions. And then then you diagnose what, what you think. And uh, so he did the same thing we did. And he comes back and he tells the, the team doctor for the Spurs and he goes, This kid didn't have a didn't have a concussion. That he mm-hmm. might it might have been physical exhaustion, but he did not have a concussion. And so we still went through the seven days of protocol. But after seven days, he was ready to play. And that was going into the third round of the playoffs, and he played that, that Friday night. You know, so, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I do, I do think that they're being overdiagnosed. I do think, but I do think the protocols are out there 
And if the protocols are out there and they're, you know, if they're followed closely, then they can diagnose whether it was a concussion or not a concussion. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. I, that was a long, long way it, it did. It's a, it's a complicated subject. And, and you almost, you know, sometimes talking about some of those deals, because neither one of us is a medical professional. We've seen it with kids. I mean, I've even seen it in the sport of cross country, unbelievably. Um, <laughs> you know, and I won't, I won't even take the time to tell, uh, tell that one, you know, with, uh, with the kid. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it has just become one of those deals. You have these tragedies that occur and, you know, several years back before the concussion deal, it was a steroids deal. And so they started mandating all this steroid testing and everything. And it's almost like at times some of it can get a little exhausting. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, nobody wants to, to, to deal with a situation where, you know, you're the one that that's uh, losing a kid. And so, you know, you get it. You do. And, and, and they're they're all serious situations, and they're they're that's the that's the reason you know with going back to the question of weightlifting, if it's taught correctly and those kids are are getting stronger and they're you know but they're doing it the right way, uh, if if they're taught in football how to tackle correctly, uh, does it mean that somebody will never never get a concussion? Well, you can tackle somebody, and then them hit their head on the on the the turf. And they can get concussion. Yeah. You know, that, right. I hate to say it, that's part of the sport, but it's not as much. It you know, it, it it's overreacted a lot. I went to a training on on ACL prevention one time, and and the whole uh, you know concept that the doctor was talking about in that training was, you know, making sure that your hamstring is is compatible in terms of strength with your with your quad, right? So. That right you know you have this right strength level built in and how essential it is to be able to you know basically demonstrate like his his whole thing was his whole methodology was that you can do on leg curls two-thirds of what you can do on a max on on leg extensions okay gotcha and so uh you know i i of course i took that back to where i was working at the time and it's totally disregarded and and you know i could i could count uh probably could not count on two hands the number of girls that ended up tearing acls over in that uh particular athletic program uh-huh. over time but with with that being said i mean sometimes you know uh too with the weightlifting if you're just lifting you know a few specific muscle groups and not the athlete completely. And you're just building up a whole lot of potential, I think for injury. I, if you're not doing it right. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you have, you have to be trained in, in weightlifting to, to be able to like, as you said, to, to have an overall uh, body, body lifting program. And, and then that will, that will enhance itself and, and complement itself so that so that injuries don't occur. Coach, tell us a little bit about how things end there at Tarleton and, and transitioning uh, to that first job there at Yorktown. You know, I, I got through my fourth year, uh, finishing my fourth year, and I still had my student teaching to go. And I was taking 21 hours and uh, just during the spring. And I had a friend of mine that, that got the baseball position at Yorktown High School. And he was in mm-hmm. class with me. And all of a sudden, he's not in class the next week. I'm going, where's he at? Well, I, you know, call him. And, you know, we talked for a while. He goes, hey, I'm in Yorktown. I'm the head baseball coach at Yorktown. I said, 
their baseball coach left. They were looking for somebody, and and I applied, and I got the job. I said, well, that's awesome. And he goes, you need to apply. They're going to be looking for more coaches for the fall. And hmm. and so that's my lead way into, into Yorktown. I mean, I said, so, so, but I haven't got my student, my student teaching. I haven't done that. And he goes, go on the emergency certificate like I did. And I went, okay, well, I'll look into that and see what they, what I got to do. And, uh, first thing I did was put in my, my application. I called coach Baluda and, and then applied and, and got the interview. And as he said, I mean, here they come up and they're, they got paint from head to toe and they're in short and t-shirt and, here I come in and, and I got a suit on and you know nowadays it'd be the cheesiest looking suit you've ever seen in your life <laughs> and uh, and here I come walking in and here they come in and I just went are you kidding me you know <laughs> but we sit down and we have the best conversation I don't want to say interview because I mean I've been in interviews, uh, but that those they taught me how to interview someone without just sitting there and asking questions. And you know we just had a conversation. Yeah. And uh, you know when when I walked out of there, I don't know what they felt about me, uh, but I was going. Those guys are awesome guys. I yeah. thought I would love to come to Yorktown. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, how, when you walk out, you know, they go, Hey, you know, Danny, we're really glad you came. Thought you did a great job. And, you know, we'll, we'll be getting back in contact with you. And I'm going, right. well, that's the last I'll hear from these guys. You know, <laughs> you know, I don't have my degree yet. You know, I'm still got to do my, uh, that, you know, go on the emergency certificate. And I think by emergency certificate, then, is you had to take two extra education classes and then you had a year of teaching experience and then you get your teaching degree. I said, okay, I got that. I can do that. And so they did call me back and they said, Hey, we'd like to have you, you know, we'd like to have you come and uh, we're going to present your name to the school board and we're, you know, this week and uh, we'll give you a call back after that. Well, the one guy that said he was going to be before for me was a was a junior high principal, and he gets in the board meeting, and, and I'm getting this from Coach Baluda, and he says, as soon as I got in the board meeting, go, yo, we got to quit hiring all these guys with emergency emergency certificates, and I'm going, he said that, you know, but but the the school board looked for the reaction and looked for the the suggestion from the superintendent and from coach Baluda and they both said, Hey, they would, they would like to have me there. And so I was hired on in Yorktown, Texas. And, uh, that was, uh, I mean, that was probably the best, best feeling. And it was the, by far the best possible position I could be in. I mean, yeah. you know, you've talked to coach Baluda, you know, coach Baluda, uh, people have heard the podcast and, you know, what you hear from him is exactly who he is. He is a down-to-earth yep. person with a lot of great character uh, characteristics. I mean, he works hard. He's, he's, uh, he's a kid person. He's a people person. He wants the person uh, fairly, whoever, you know, 
uh, he's just an awesome guy. And, uh, you know, he's taking on a, he's taking on a, I guess a young staff is the best way to put it because I think he was the second oldest on the staff and he was 26 years old. Uh, and he took that, took that job. And, and I think the oldest guy was 30. And so, you know, and then there's me at 22 and another one at 24 and another one at 22. And I mean, it was a young staff, but at that time we didn't know. Yeah, we're right. just coaches. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we're just, we're going and we're teaching and we're coaching and, and, uh, you know, and, and Eric, it was, it was such a, I don't know. It, it's a surreal type of uh, deal. It's just like going to college. Why was, why was I going to end education? Why was I going to Tarleton? Why was I going to Yorktown? Well, it's just like I was directed there. You know, yeah. yeah, and, and I, I'm going to get into this, but I always feel like God's leading you wherever you want to go and where he wants you to go. And, and so there was never a question, you know, this is the doors that were open and those are the doors I was stepping through. And, uh, and, and, and you know, just to, I'll, and I'm going to let you continue with that, but I just want to throw it out there too. Something that you said about alternative certification and sometimes, uh, you, you know, as, as two years as a principal, um, you know, where I was, sometimes the best candidates you get are alternative certification people that you have to help get into this business. Because at times it's really hard to get people into this business that are as good as someone like yourself or someone like one of the young guys that we hired over there that I did a podcast with about obtaining a CDL. You know, I don't know if you uh, heard yes. that one. Yes. That young man is standing and Uh, A big thing, you know, again, alternative certification, but you could tell when he came in the room, he got it. He and and he did a great job there and everything. And so um, I I do. I think, too, that, you know, there's there's so much about it that is just like, you know, those doors open, as you were just saying. And there's a reason there there are. And and, you know, the people that that you surround yourself are the type of people you'll become. And uh, and, you know, surrounding myself with Coach Beluda, I mean. To this day, we're we're close friends. I mean, I consider him and his brothers, uh, my brothers, and and his mom, my mom. Uh, you know, yeah. and so you know that's been such a. I mean, that's thirty five, thirty six years ago, uh, nineteen eighty three. Yeah. So uh, I walk in that door, and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm I'm coaching, but. I don't think, and and I think every coach experiences this. I, I guess they do. Uh, you know, you don't realize that you're really not a good coach until you get out there and start coaching. <laughs> yeah. You know how I realized I wasn't good. <laughs> How's that? I was I was I was there in Bandera going off on a girl, a seventh grader, on, on B team volleyball one time, and she started to cry. <laughs> Thought, oh, I've done something wrong. <laughs> and you do. You just, you know, you see it in the movies and stuff, you know, and, and, and on the TV shows and everything. And it is a lot of the time it's a bunch of yelling and screaming. And, you know, and, and of course, you don't see all the other stuff that's built in, which is stuff like you would do for kids. You know, they're in Bernie and I'm sure every other place that you were at, uh, you know, building in that love and that system, that foundation and everything that the relationship. 
you know, that allows you in a moment where, you know, you've got to raise your voice and you've got to get that kid going. Uh, yeah, you, you can. It's pretty easy. If you're going to get better at this, you realize pretty quick how bad you are in the beginning. Oh, you? you really do. And, and, you know, I mean, everybody thinks they can coach because they played the sport, because they've right. been around the sport, because they've heard about it. You know, all of a sudden you walk out on that field and you got to teach these kids for very basic fundamental stuff. And you're going, wow, I didn't think this would be this difficult as it is. I mean, I walk out there the first day. You'll love this. I walk out there the first day. I'm Coach Baluda put me in. I'm the, the running backs coach and the linebackers coach. I got my index mm-hmm. cards, you know, make sure I know, you know, what drills I want to go through and stuff like that. And uh, we're going to work the we're going to work the the beer or steps on the inside beer. And I said, guys, this is what we're going to do. We'll do it like this. And and, you know, after about two times through, they said, coach said, you know, we've never done it like this before. <laughs> and I went, oh, this might not be good. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah. you know, and these were experienced kids. These are these are the. How, how long is coach? How long has Coach Blue have been there at this point? This had been four years, so but this was his first year as a head coach. As the head coach, and so right. this uh-huh. program had been going for four years. Right. Yeah, he mentioned that in his pod in the podcast I did with him, where he he had been the guy he had uh, you know taken over for had been running the same. Yeah, system. Coach Lawson so, was. Uh, I see what you mean. And mm-hmm. and you know, so I walk out there and I'm you know I'm going through it, and they go, "We've never done it like this." I'm going. Okay, guys, just bear with me. He said, here's what we're going to do. So we're going to do it like this. And then I want you to tell me exactly how you've done it. And then we're going we're gonna to figure out what works best. You know, yeah. I'm, at this point, Eric, I'm reaching, I'm bluffing. And so it's like, I think I know what I'm doing. And then I really find out I don't. And so then... We go through mine, and then we go through it the way they have been doing it for four years. And I said, tell you what, guys, and this is where you find out what kind of person you are and what kind of coach you are. Sometimes you got to admit that you're wrong, and you got to change. And, you know, and, and at that point, I looked at him and said, guys, I said, you're right. This is the way you got to do it, the way you're telling me to do it, and that's the way we're going to do it. And yeah. so, I mean, like at that point, it's like all of a sudden the light came on and said, number one, I'm not prepared. And that will never happen again. And from that point on, I prepared myself for any scenario that I could possibly come up against with these kids. And and when we got to the practice field, I knew what I was supposed to do. And I knew the way we were supposed to do it. And I wasn't going to mess them up. I was going to try to make them better. And that's yeah. what coaches are all about. So that, yeah. you know, that was my first experience as coaching. Uh, and, and Coach Baluda, is, you know, he was one of those guys that he gave you that responsibility and he expected you to, to, to live up to it, to work hard, to prepare yourself. And the first day I might not have been prepared, but after that I was. And, uh, our relationship grew. My, you know, my, I feel like my coaching profession, my coaching abilities grew, uh, and just had, you know, we had great kids. You know, uh, 
And I, I've never been the three places I've been, or I guess you'd call Bernie four places, because because of Yorktown, <laughs> and then you had Bruce right. Belletti and then Bernie High School and Bernie Champion. All of yeah. those kids, I don't know that I've ever, you know, I've had one or two weren't great kids, but they were all respectful. Yeah. And, you know, if they, if I ever got onto somebody and shut the whole practice down, it's because I was yelling and they knew they were wrong. Because I didn't yell a whole lot. I get my point across and but if I ever got to the point of where everybody else could hear me on the practice field, they knew that they were wrong. And, and, and I think that coaching is one of those things. I don't think you have to yell and scream all the time, but I think when you do yell and scream, it's got to be impactful. Yeah, definitely. John Wooden says that as well. I often reference him, you know, when I have these conversations, he's one of my favorite coaches I've read about. And he, he talks about that too. So many coaches will overuse that. Uh, if you use it, you know, sparingly, it just means so much more. It really, it really does. And and I've seen I've seen guys that yell all the time. And 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 I'm not saying their their coaching style's wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But I've seen it, and after a while, it goes in one ear and out the other on those kids. Yeah. If it's all the time. But I've seen the ones that are a lot more boisterous and they get onto them and, and they're very, very effective coaches and successful coaches. So, uh, yeah, a lot of different coaching styles and everybody has their own. And yeah. if you try to coach like somebody else, you're probably never going to be a very good coach. It, I think that's a big, big part of it. you got to be yourself. Right. And you got to figure out what kind of a style works for you so that you are being genuine and, and also, you know, in being genuine and finding that style, you're effective. Exactly right. Exactly right. That's, you know, kids respect, you know, your, you being genuine. They, they right. respect you, you being you. Uh, and, mm. But they can, you know, kids can read through anything. If you're, if you're bluffing, if you're, if you're, Making it up as you go, they know it. Yeah, <laughs> and and they see through it quickly too. So, you know, you have to you have to you you have to be straightforward with kids, and you have to be honest with them, and they they can appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the you know your time there with with Coach Bluda in Yorktown. Um, I know when we were visiting a little bit earlier, I believe you told me it was nine years, right? That you worked for? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, So from his first year there as head coach all the way through, and so you guys go on some pretty incredible runs, right? Oh, they were awesome runs. I mean, even the 1983 year, which I think Tommy will tell you the same thing. I mean, we felt like we could have gone a lot farther than we did. Uh, That was an awesome year. It's the first year that, They've been to playoffs in I don't know thirty something years and and right. and made a run there and we had some very good athletes and you know he I think he mentioned Larry Vassbinder and you know there's Johnny Golden and there's Bubba Deason and yeah I can call all those names out I mean uh, Robert Banda you know we didn't have a lot I mean there were some stud athletes but I'm gonna tell you you know Eric Robert Banda was probably about five four 
maybe 160, 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. And he was our starting nose guard. You know, I mean, we didn't have big guy, a lot of big guys, linebacker, maybe, oh, 160, 70 pounds, one of them. The other one's about 200 pounds. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it wasn't all about, oh, they're the greatest greatest uh, specimen there there's ever been. No, we had a bunch of good kids that worked hard, played fundamental offense, fundamental defense, and – that's how we were, you know, we were successful. Right. Hmm. The, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible, you know, and I don't want to fast forward too much and, and skip uh, all the way over to Bernie, but I will just say it's pretty incredible the way that you and Coach Bluda have had a knack for finding places that hadn't been to the playoffs in 30 or 40 years <laughs> and, 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 you know, <laughs> helping them win a game. Well, I, I, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit because – you know, he found that he found Bernie, and I'll tell you what, I found Bruce Valetti, and I still hadn't got him in the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, we we but we did make them more competitive. We just didn't couldn't get over the hump. And uh, but when we did go to Bernie, that was a, that was an awesome experience. And, right. And we caught Wait. we caught Bernie at the right time. They were growing, and and uh, you know the kids were were hungry. They were great. You know just awesome athletes i mean you know and yet you could stand them up in front of you know uh, with a hundred other kids from dallas and fort worth and they might have got it picked out of the whole group you know they, yes, they sir. Got picked. definitely they they were we, we were in many cases you know you look at bernie that most of the athletes there were about as average looking as they come and it's about getting that mentality right and and you know, ha- having kids buy in and everybody's pulling the wagon the right way. I mean, and it's it's a lot that way at a place like Yorktown, I would imagine, or, or a lot of small 2A and uh, type schools, you know, that are playing 11-man football and doing the things they need to do because there's so many temptations on kids to go out and do the things they shouldn't do. If they're lifting weights in the summer and running in the summer instead of doing that. And, you know, then it's going to, it's going to carry you a lot better. And and I agree with that. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to step back and, and go into my, the, the Bruce Valetti days. Well, do you mind if I ask, yeah. you know, when coach Bluda leaves, uh, when coach Bluda leaves there, I guess after the 91 season in Yorktown, you, you end up taking over, correct? I did. Yeah. But not without a lot of, uh, I guess without controversy, I'd be a best way is there was one other assistant and myself that were both wanted the job. We uh-huh. we were both good with each other, but the town was split. And uh, so, you know, we were, we were asked to come to the school board uh, meeting and we get up there and there are cars everywhere. I bet there's two, 300 people there. And right. we're just going, oh, my gosh, what is this? You know, because he pulled up and I pulled up and we get out and we walk in together. Yeah. And uh, we're just looking, going, holy cow, what is this? And, you know, it, it, you know, both sides had their favorite, you know, and and it was one of those things that people were very passionate about who they wanted and and what they wanted and. They wanted, you know, we'd had success in, in athletics and they wanted to continue that success. So they were both all letting their opinions, you know, fly. 
And uh, right. when when it's all said and done, then then I end up getting the uh, the the head coach AD position, and uh, the other coach became my offensive coordinator. And mm-hmm. uh, because he wanted to stay, and we were good. And uh, but the, here's the here was my if I had a downfall that first year, and this was it. And I had a coach tell me this, and you know, Danny, just know that when you become a head coach and AD. You got to have thick skin. Right. Well, I'm going, what are you talking about? He goes, just know you got to have thick skin because you don't understand what's going to be said or how it's going to be said or how it's perceived. And, and I'm going, okay. You know, I didn't think much about it. Well, as the year went on, I mean, we went seven and three and, and we missed the playoffs and, and uh, people weren't happy. The whole year I could hear this, you know, stuff going on here and there. And I'm going, hmm, you know, my skin wasn't very thick. You know, we had we had a couple controversies with some kids. I had uh, I, I had one bad, uh, and I was going to say this, so. Uh, but I had one, one guy I hired, and uh, this guy was going to be my, my uh, head track coach. He was a young guy, good guy, and we get all the way into the spring and, but I have an experienced guy and this guy's awesome guy. And I don't know if coach Baluda talked about, uh, Ralph train but Ralph was, Ralph was with Tommy whenever, when he, Tommy got the job and had been in Yorktown for a while. Well, mm-hmm. he stayed on the staff with me. And so, you know, this young guy, I, I said, I said, Ralph, I want you to be my track coordinator. You're just going to watch over the girls and boys program and just kind of make sure they're staying with the program guidelines. Okay. And, and he had nothing to do with workouts and stuff like that. The other guys did all that stuff. And, and so about a few weeks into track, here comes his coach and he comes in there and goes, coach, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, yeah, not a problem. And as we, as we get ready, you know, he sits down. I've noticed he has a legal pad. And I look on and kind of glance on that legal pad. Man, you got a list of stuff. And I'm going, what in the world is this? And uh, so he he comes out and he goes, Coach, I thought you said I was going to be the head track coach. I said, you are. He goes, no, Coach, train him. And I said, no, he's just making sure you stay in your guidelines, the program guidelines. You do all the workouts. You schedule all the meets. You do all this stuff. Okay. So we go to the next thing. He goes, Coach, you never told me that, that I was going to have to be washing clothes and doing that stuff. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, I said, you know what? I wash clothes up here. He said, are you better than I am? Mm. Oh, no. No, I guess not, Coach. So, you know, but you never told me I was going to, have to be, you know, sweeping the dressing rooms. And, you know, I said, do I sweep the dressing rooms? He goes, yeah. And so he got about the fourth or fifth one. I said, I said, I'll tell you what. You don't have to do any of this stuff. We're going to stop where you're at. You don't have to look at the rest of the list. You don't have to do any of this stuff. And he looked at me and he goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, the only thing you got to do is you got to go find you another job. <laughs> and, he, and he looked at me and he goes, no, coach, I didn't mean to make you mad. I said, you didn't make me mad. All you did was tell me you didn't want to be a part of this coaching staff. Because yeah. everything you said you didn't want to do, all the other coaches are doing, and that's I right. do. And I think that's a lot of the mentality of young coaches nowadays is 
they think all they have to do is come in and coach. And that's it. You know, it, you know, it practice over, they go home. And, and that's not today's coaching. I mean, you got too many other things you got to take care of. And it's a little stuff that nobody sees you do. If it's exactly. mowing the field or washing the clothes or cleaning the dressing room or whatever it may be, watching film, whatever it may be, you still got that when practice is over. It's not time to go home. And and yet I don't think a lot of young coaches understand that the extra hours that get put in on stuff that you could say are, quote, non-coaching duties. And and I and I think that you know that was one of my growing experiences as, as a head coach. I mean, and and I had a couple couple deals, and and it wasn't a big deal. I mean, at the at the end of the end of the spring, I guess early spring, I, I looked at it, and I had had a couple parents upset, and they were board members, but I didn't worry. You know, it I didn't have thick enough skin, is what I'm going to say. I yeah. let I let it affect me a lot more than it should have. And so at the, you know, end of Christmas break, I go to, I go back to Bruce Saletti and, and, uh, I'm still the head coach AD at, at Yorktown and, and I'm at home and during the break and Bruce Saletti's got a basketball game. And so I said, you know, I hadn't been home. I hadn't been watch a basketball game or a Bruce Saletti athletic event in since I graduated. Yeah. I said, I'm going to go watch the game. So I went, Got in the stand, sat there and watched the game. There's only about 25 people in the stand sitting there watching the game. And the guy taps me on the shoulder and said, Danny, what are you doing here? And it was it was Jim Payne. And that was the superintendent at Bruce Filetti. Right. And like I said, I grew up in, you know, if I wasn't in my house, I was at his house. And uh, he said, you know, we sat and we talked for a while and you know, didn't say anything about anything, really. And you got, you know, the game's kind of going on. He goes, you know what? If I thought you'd take it, I'd offer you a job. <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, what job? And he said, well, we got defensive coordinator position open. I said, I might be interested. And uh, at that point, he said, well, let me go introduce you to the head, the head coach. He's over here. So I, I met Coach, uh, his name is Joe Flood, and Joe was an awesome guy. Oh, man, he's an awesome guy. He was kind of up, you know, toward the end of his career. And uh, so I we talked for a while, and I don't know if I knew it at the time or if they knew it at the time, but at that point, I was pretty much coming to Bruce Folletti. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I came back and uh, to, to Yorktown. I said, that's enough. I don't want to put up with this stuff. I'm going to Bruce Saletti. See y'all later. You know, and which probably, in hindsight, it ended up working out fine with me. But I should have thicker skin. I could have stuck that out. And and then I would have been I would have been fine in Yorktown. And But I didn't. But, you know, too, though, as as a young AD, young head football coach, I've seen it with ones that I've known as well. You know, it, it's tough because you have a lot of bosses and you also have a lot of people that are, you know, uh, people are very um, what's the right word? They're very I, I don't know if uh, generous is not going to be the right word, but they're very willing to donate their advice and willing to donate their 
their guidance to you that's really not guidance in a lot of cases. It's just more, you know, more stirring of the water, making, making the water muddy, I guess you could say at, at times. And I mean, you ultimately got to do the job. You got to steer the ship. That's what you're there to do. Right. And I feel like sometimes so many people will, will start contributing to a younger AD head football coaches, uh, you know, brain or whatever. And it, and it does, it just creates a, uh, a difficult deal, which, it, and, and you alluded to this earlier about Tommy blue to, you know, taking over Yorktown there at 26 and doing so well. I mean, he said something in the interview too. I, he just seems like, he just seems like he really had that thick skin. That's very rare and ability to put it off because I think I'd have been way more like uh like kind of like you described in that situation it's like man you're up there you're doing this job you're spending all these hours doing this you know and and a lot of the time you're so much more quickly going to hear appreciation I'm I'm sorry so much more quickly going to hear criticism before you're going to hear the appreciation right and even though the majority appreciates you, it's hard for you to know that at a young age because you don't hear it. Right. Like criticism. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, you know, it's you understand that 95% of the people, you know, they back you. 5% yeah. might not, but there's a vocal minority and there's a silent majority. And right. so you're going to hear the silent side, even though they support you 100%, they just assume you know that. And, you know, and then, then as a, uh, you know, that, that, that minority side, who's very loud, that's what you hear is you always hear the criticism and, and, you know, as a, as a, as an assistant, you don't ever, you're never the bad guy. The head coach is always the bad guy because the head coach has to make that decision and you're always the good guy. Then all of a sudden I switched, I switched roles from being, the good guy to the head coach who is the bad guy in a sense. Right. I make those decisions, yeah. you know, and and so at that point, you know, I had to switch roles, but I was, you know, again, I wasn't ready, I guess, in a sense to for that impact. But that was the most beneficial year of coaching, even though it was a long year. It was one of the most beneficial years of coaching I've ever had. I grew as a coach. Uh, just not so much as the X's and O's and all this stuff, but to be able to know what, you know, what you have to deal with and how to deal with it. And, right. and that was, that was the, the, my, my major step in growth into coaching. And at that point, I felt so much more confident after I got out of the situation, looking back on it, going, you know what? shouldn't have got emotionally involved in it and should have just took it on and and I'd have been fine there. Yeah. But I didn't and and it still worked out for me. Uh you know and I you know I went to Bruce Folletti and like I said, I mean, I got hired there as a defensive coordinator for a year. I wasn't this is this is a part that I'm trying to figure out how to even say this. I enjoyed my year, but I thought that we could have done a lot more for the kids to help them put them into a, 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 a more of a chance to win and be successful. Yeah. And, and, and that was going to be hard to do because we only had, I think we had three seniors and two juniors or two juniors and three seniors on the football team. So, 
but we only had 30 something kids playing football. And, uh, so by the end of the end of the year, I said, you know what? I went and looked for another job and, and I got offered a, a offensive coordinator position. And, and so I said, well, I need to call Mr. Payne and let him know what I'm doing. So on my way home from that interview, I, and they had offered it to me. So I said, Mr. Payne, I'm going to so-and-so. I didn't want, don't want to say the town. Uh, but yeah. uh, just want to let you know that, hey, I appreciate every, everything you've done for me. But I think I'm going to go over here as my as the offensive coordinator. And he goes, well, Danny, what if I offered you the head coaching position? Well, then I look at I said, Mr. Payne said, I'm not going to cut Coach Flood's uh, throat. You know, yeah. I mean, he's a good man, he's a good coach. I'm not I'm not there to do that. That's not what I'm here for. He goes, right. And he said, no. He said, Coach Flood wants to go into, into administration. He's going to be our assistant principal. And so he's not going anywhere. He, you know, it's just you're going to be head coach AD if you'll take that position. Well, at that point, I'm going, man, now it's put up or shut up, isn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So I looked at, yeah, I just told him, I said, Mr. Payne, I'll take the, I'll take the head coaching position. And I called him and turned down the offense coordinator position. And, and then I, and you'll love this. This is what we were talking about, the commitment of some of the kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I had a couple kids that, you know, they have a, uh, they used to have a, it's called Mayfest, and it was a, like a barbecue cook-off, big thing for the town of Bruce Valetti. And, and, uh, well, I was working the, the, the Dr. Pepper booth for the, the Methodist Church. And I see a couple of my athletes, you know, they, they weren't mine at this point. They still weren't, I guess they were mine. And I, and I walk, and I see them walking in. And one of them's got a hand on the, on one side, and the other's got a hand on the other side of an ice chest. They're carrying their beer in there, and that's accepted. <laughs> and so, the believe it or not, the next day was the state track meet, and those two guys were supposed to go to the state track meet with me the next day. And uh, I, I was going to take them to the meet. I wanted to show them what it was all about, what we want to try to go do, and. And uh, so they show up to my house, and I said, guys, I thought I was going to be the head coach, of, you know, here at Bruce Lady, but I'm not. I think I'm going to turn it down. They said, why, coach? No, we want you to be here. I said, no. I said, I saw the commitment you guys had last night. What do you mean? I said, I saw you walk in with that cooler. And said, no, what was in the cooler? I said, and you're telling me that I'm going to stay here and put my career in your hands because you're not committed enough to, to stay away from beer while you're a minor. Yeah. And, and they just both looked at me and their jaws dropped said, coach, what if we tell you right now that will never happen again before, you know, while we're athletes. Right. And I said, I don't know if you can follow up on that. Can I trust you? This coach, yeah, we, because we promise. When when you're young, you get the younger you get started, 
you know, I think the harder it is to, to be able to hit the brakes on something like that. And I, I mean, you know, that's, that's always an important thing to me too, is, you know, you got to take care of your body, you know, and I, I know it's different for different sports and, and what you can and can't do. Uh, you know, some sports will talk about these different things like, you know, these days with the e-cigarettes and all that kind of stuff, you definitely can't smoke in a sport like I'm involved in right. you know, the cross country track world. And, and you've been involved uh, a lot with, uh, with track, obviously it's not going to help you to be, uh, partaking in any nicotine type exercises for football right. and as a coach when you you've been in places where you know yeah they're you know it, as an adult that may happen with your parents and with your grandparents and so on but you as a teenager we're gonna have to play against these people that are taking care of their body right and so i'm watching you take us uh, a selfish opportunity that is a disadvantage to me as a coach when I see that. Exactly. And even worse, because it's, it, it, I feel like it does go without saying, but it's your athletic career. It's hard for me as a coach to just look at you and say, you don't care about what you're doing. You have four years to do this and you don't care enough about yourself to avoid those cheap highs. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I tell you what, Eric, to this day, and I and I and I talk to these guys all the time. Mm-hmm. They call, they'll text. I go play golf with them, mess around, and I, you know, and to this day, they swear that at that point, from throughout their rest of their high school career, they never drank. And you know, and that that made me feel good. I said, Coach, we weren't going to do it. We told you we weren't going to do it. You committed to us, and we committed to you. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that there wasn't any other kids in the program. Doing it. I can't tell you that, you know, I don't, right. I don't go out there looking for it, but if it slaps me in the face, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to react to it, you know? Yeah. And Wait, uh, you, you mentioned something earlier uh, and I'm going to go to two things that you mentioned earlier. I'm going to say this one first. You said something about that alluded to you not having a whole lot of success uh, there in, in as far as at least on paper. I mean, you know, the, the win-loss column is not going to be something that people say, whoa, we got to get that Danny Threadgill out of, out of uh, Bruceville, uh, Eddie, right? They're not going to say that. Right, right. Um, you know, but, Coach, it's important to note, and, and I appreciate uh, uh, TexasHighSchoolFootballHistory.com and LoneStarFootballNetwork.com because I've done a lot of research through those two. Uh, as well as talking to you on the side. But, I mean, in, in all the years, you know, like you look at a, at the whole scope of things, and, and I, I also talked about this kind of stuff with Coach Bluta. Uh, and, and, again, not to throw shade, as they say these days, at Bruceville Eddie, but I'm going to point out that the number of times they've won six games, which you did twice there uh, since 1985, uh, or you know when they last won seven games, that's the most number. But 1985, seven and five, that's the best record they've had in the last. You know, somebody help me with the math here, right? Uh, 30, 35 years. They've been seven and five as their best season. So you go six and four twice, and they've had one other six-win season since you left. Right, right, and 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 I'm not, I'm not poke, poking my chest out or anything like that, but. I'll tell you that, you know, that place is, it, it's got good kids. It, yeah. uh, you know, we went from one and nine to four and six to six and four. 
And in that four and six and six and four year, we lost seven games within seven points of it. Mm. You know, and so we had the chance to make that jump. We just didn't get over the hump. We had to make that one play in a game. Yeah. And we didn't make it, you know, and, but do I regret any, any moment I had at Bruce Ferletti? Not at all. I loved it all. I mean, I love the people there. I love the kids there. I love the experience I had there. I love the idea of going from, you know, from a team that just showed up and, you know, the game was over before it started to a team that, you know, that people had to prepare for. Uh, you know, they had to play their tails off to beat us. And, you know, and you, we, we did that. We upset teams that nobody thought we could, we could upset. Uh, but you know, but we went from a point, Eric, and, and when I was the defense coordinator, I mean, at halftime, the other coaches would walk across to the head coach and say, Hey, you want to run the clock second half? And, right. and he said, and he would say every time, yes. And we're playing Mark and we're playing Rosebud lot and we're playing Rogers and we're playing those guys. Very talented football teams. And uh, when I took over, the first thing I did was I walked in the dressing room and I said, guys, from now on, we are not running the clock after halftime. You guys think that you can just walk in there and at halftime, game's over, we're shutting it down. So we're not going to do that anymore. You're going to have to show some pride. And you're going to have to step up and you're going to have to make some plays and you're going to have to dig deeper than you've ever dug in your life. And you're going to try to make plays to, to stay in a ball game. Because if you don't, that score is going to go to 100 nothing. because, again, we're not running the clock. Yeah. And I tell you what, the kids were, you know, they were fired up about that. Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, and we got out, we practiced hard and we – we prepared and and we got into games. I mean, shoot, we're playing we're playing Mart when they have uh, Quan Cosby and Quincy Cosby and Gerard King and I could name ten of those guys. But you know, like Quan Cosby's the guy of the guy that everybody knows. Right. He played at Texas and went in the NFL and you know this kid four two forty. We scored on, but. Yeah, but here's how we did. Uh, this is the funniest story because I think we just made them mad. Is what we did is opening kickoff. They kick off to us. Well, we knew their kicker had to go off to put his shoe on, change shoes. Well, their kicker was their was their safety, so they had to back up safety. So we're going to run a play in which we drag our are tied in to the backside away from the motion and throw it to him. Well, we did, mm -hmm. and we hit it for about a 50-yard, 60-yard touchdown. So we're, we're up seven to nothing. They end up beating us 50 to seven. <laughs> so I think we just, I think we just upset them. But yeah. one thing we didn't do, we didn't run the clock. I mean, those guys, yeah, they might've been very gracious as coaches and, and 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 held it down some, but they also knew what we were building. And I had I had coaches from other schools going, coach, that 
you're really doing a great job. We can see the improvement week to week. We see it year to year, you know, and, and so I took pride in that. So when I've said that we weren't successful or I wasn't successful there in the win loss column, maybe, but, mm-hmm. but overall as watching a program grow and, and get better and people having to prepare for you and, and looking and looking at all forms of the program from girls, boys, basketball to track to football to whatever i felt like we've really made big strides and well, you know, uh, so it was, well, it was a fun it was a great experience for me great coaches there uh just worked their tails off i mean i had coach uh shane downing shane shane's now like the the principal at holland and uh mm-hmm. then russell reinhardt he's he's retired but doing a uh you know, he's doing the retire, rehire teaching part time. And and those guys, uh, they were they were just awesome coaches for me. And, you know, so J.B. Cheney was uh, was a coach there at one time. And then he just he just moved from Bruce Valetti as uh, resigned as the uh, the head coach there. So he had taken the job later on just a few years ago. And uh, so it, you know, the coaching chain is there, you know, and. And I felt like the success we had was good. Uh, I think Bruce Valetti, you know, where their success ended was when they went from Class A to 2A. And if you looked on those those records, I mean, 2A, you know, Class A, they were 7-5. and five. Class 2A is when there were no other records, of, you know, better than 6-4. Uh, and, and a lot of the time it is hard to, to notice when you look on those different websites I mentioned, you know, the, the jumps in classification, you, you'd have to dig deeper to find. Right. That. Right. And that, then that's, I mean, I'm just, just saying that, but that's, uh, you know, when you, yeah. when you up that you're, you're, you're now playing March and Rosebud lots and Rogers and right. you know, those guys. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw this out there as, as an example. I mean, you know, I spent time out in Ozona and we, we had a pretty rough girls basketball schedule. I was the JV girls coach my first year. We played uh, Wall. Um, we played Brady, Sonora, Ballinger, you know, some pretty mm. good, you know, 2A schools. And Ozona was a long ways away from where they had been in the mid-90s winning, you know, state championships in girls basketball. We were nowhere near that. I think our varsity went 3-25 and 25 that year, and our JV was 3-20. and 20. But the uh, the JV girls, we played Wall the first time. And I, I, as an example, we lost 74-2. to two, And I'm not sure the two points we had, the, I'm not sure the girl was facing the basket when she threw it up. <laughs> You know, and it was the loudest the wall Jim got that night that night when they cheered for her making that basket. But we played Sonora and lost uh, 69 to 12 the first time. And I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like 400 to 150 or 4, 497 to 150 or something. We got outscored those first five games of district. But I told those girls, I said, I'm, I'm reporting these scores to the newspaper because we need to hold ourselves accountable and we need to know that we can do better and we will do better when you're giving up points like that a lot of the time and you become the, the team everybody wants to run the clock on. You know, playing defense does not require necessarily the time and skill that it takes to really run a, a great offense in different things. You know, I mean, yeah, you got to practice the shooting. you got to practice passing and catching and, you know, different things with, with football as well. To, to me, that what we could do was we could close the gap 
on on how much we were allowing. And really, if we did it well enough, we could also maybe sneak in a win, which we did. We lost sixty nine to twelve to Sonora the first time. We ended up beating them eighteen to seventeen the second time. Wow! Around. Wow! And and you know, I I think sometimes as a coach, for me at least, it was it was easy to just say, you know what. I mean, this is not my main sport. This is not what I came to Ozona for. I came here to coach cross country and track. I'm just going to throw in the towel. Right. But I'm just I'm competitive and and I care about kids. I care about how we looked, you know, to other people. Our kids were better than that. And sometimes in a place that hasn't won a lot, you know, in a specific sport for maybe a long period of time or a lot ever, you got to make them believe you're better than this. Right. Right. It's. It's the toughest thing you sell to them, but they are. Oh, and, and, and yeah, and, and so it's not like you're – it's not the X's and O's as much as it is uh, convincing them that, that they are better than what, they, what they've been showing. Right. We, we may lose, but if we play to the point of exhaustion with pride, we can at least lose respectably. Right. That, that's worth so much more than just going and laughing that you can't make a shot and that you're not hustling. And, but you see that kind of stuff sometimes in sports as you have maybe a little bit of too much turnover in a place or, you know, uh, the, the wrong kind of parent involvement maybe at times causing that in, in various school districts around the state. And, you know, uh, it's it not always a good thing for kids, but if you can go in and you can keep your head up and you can go to work every day, show those kids you care about them and, and you know, and instill that in them, you can do some things with them, even if they're a far ways away from maybe even being a football player or a basketball player. Hustle, heart, and focus can go a long way. Oh, and, and that, you are, you are correct. I mean, that is a, you could, you could teach a lot of X's and O's and all that stuff, but if, if you don't teach the, those three things that you're talking about, then all, all the X's and O's are going to go out the window. Right. So that's, uh, you know, so it's a, it, it's a, it's a great profession and it's not just X's and O's. It's, it's getting in those kids head and getting them to believe in you and respect you and, and believe that, you know, whether you walk on water or not, you want those kids to believe that you do. And, right. uh, you know, to, to a point, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they have, yeah. they have to be able to sell out to you. And if they'll do that, you got an opportunity to win. Yeah. That, no question about it. Well, that's a wrap for tonight. Tell lights fans. Don't forget, help us meet those social media requirements and those rating requirements and everything else. And we will be back in no time with episode two and then episode three and we'll put lots of ears on it and more people can get to know and enjoy the the love and excitement and passion of Coach Danny Threadgill and many of the others that are there in our archives. Uh, there to benefit kids, benefit educators, benefit our school system across Texas. Share, share, share. And have a great night. If you find yourself loving this episode, go back in our archives and look at episode one, which was an interview that lasts more than two and a half hours with Coach Tommy Bluda. Bernie fans, you won't want to miss this. Coming this summer, I have interviews you won't believe that are on the schedule with coaches like Stan Leach, Dave Fulkerson, Richard Herbst, and one of the greatest supporters in Bernie ISD athletics history, Russell Hawkins. Mr. Hawkins has been a reporter in Bernie and shot thousands of photos he has shared with kids and coaches. There's so much Bernie coming this summer, you won't know what to do. 
That's not all. We've got longtime Comfort Track coach Billy Neighbors coming up next week. We also have a Texas coaching legend, three-time state champion football coach from South Lake Carroll, Bob Ledbetter, lined up, and we're recording that on June 6th. For all my cross-country peeps out there, get ready because this summer, in addition to Coach Fulkerson, I'll be talking to Coach Scott Hippensteel from Lockhart and Coach Devlin Lovell from Antonian. Both have had tremendous success in the UIL and TAPS cross-country worlds. Not to mention, cross-country fans, you can go to the archives right now and listen to 12-time state championship coach Paul Darden of Sundown. We have tennis hall of famers, the Niffins, Barry, Novice, and John all lined up for this summer. We have numerous guests that you can read more about at taillightspodcast.com right now. One of my favorite bosses of all time and a man that has had a massive amount of success at Orange Grove, Yoakum, and George West as the athletic director, head football coach, Brent Cornegie, is going to be joining us this summer. We have several other coaches in the archives right now, including Ron Mills, who coached the Bay City Blackcats to the 1983 state championship. Mike Cheney, who was defensive coordinator at state runner-up Ariane, along with being the AD head football coach at numerous other places, including Alvord and Ira. We have his son, Coach Kagan Cheney, who recently obtained a CDL bus driver's license, explaining to coaches all around the state the process of obtaining said license and all the best strategies for passing the numerous written and driving tests involved. We have retired Superintendent Larry Taylor talking about his career in administration in the archives at this very moment. And we've got retired coach and administrator Rick Bachman on the way. If you're one of the fans out there that can't get enough football and you haven't checked out the second episode that came out with retired head football coach, athletic director Mike Williamson, who coached the 2002 Bandera Bulldogs to the state championship in double overtime against Midland Greenwood, You won't want to miss that story. It is published in two separate parts. Make sure you listen to it in order. What an incredible story with Coach Williamson. Very, very enjoyable time sitting there and visiting with him. So much knowledge in that episode. Don't forget to check that one out. Buckle up, Tail Lights Podcast fans, because we're going on the road this summer, and I can promise you we will be shining the light on some tremendous stories and philosophies that seek to trigger the nostalgia in people of various t- small towns and mid-sized towns and big towns across the state of Texas, while also focusing heavily on strategies and education that work best for kids. It's going to be one heck of a ride, and I'm glad you are going with me. Without further ado, let's join Coach Danny Threadgill. Thanks again for listening, and please remember, if you could, to go and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.